Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. If you're looking for jewelry that makes an impact on your self-care routine and your style, Empowerography would love to offer you a discount code to one of our exclusive partners, Quartz and Canary Jewelry and Wellness Company. Please use code EMPOWER15 to receive 15% off upon checkout at www.quartzandcanary.com. Quartz and Canary is truly the place where spirituality meets style. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Jill Askey. She is an independent filmmaker and is actually in the process of writing her first book. How are you doing today, Jill? I'm good, Brad. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you so much for making and taking the time to be here today to share a bit about your story and your journey with us. I'm really looking forward to diving in here. So I appreciate you. Let's jump right in. Okay, thank you. You are an award-winning independent filmmaker who specializes in documentaries and promo videos for nonprofit organizations and corporate clients. How long have you been working in the field of filmmaking? I'd say 20 years. 20 years? Yes. Now, what inspired you to get into filmmaking in the first place? Can you speak a little bit about your journey into filmmaking? You know, when I was a kid, like most of us, I really loved TV and film. I liked the way it made me feel. I liked the escapism of it. And I just thought, wow, if I could do something like that to make people feel the way I felt when I was watching them, that would be pretty cool. So that's kind of what started it. Now, why did you decide to go the route of being an independent filmmaker as opposed to, say, working for a big film studio? And did you ever give that route any thought or weight getting into your career or throughout your career? I definitely give it weight throughout my career. It's Mm -hmm. just it's being a woman and being a director, there's more opportunity in the small indie world. If you look at women who are directing studio movies, there's there's not that many of them. Yeah, <laughs> true. But another area that I think is a good place is television, especially okay. with all the opportunities and all the content needed for streaming. So when I was first starting out, I wasn't that interested in television. And then over the years, as television has become just so rich with content and storytelling, I was like, yeah, I think I'd be into directing television as well. Yeah, there's there's been a huge shift for sure in the television market. Yes, there really has. And it's really exciting. I mean... Also, considering we were all stuck at home for so long during (laughs) quarantine, it's great that all of these really rich TV shows premiered, you know, even if they're a couple of episodes, still, it's, it's really good storytelling. So that's exciting. It's interesting to see the amount of Hollywood who you would normally see as movie stars jumping into the television world and taking on roles in TV shows now compared to what it used to be oh yeah totally I think tv used to maybe get a bad rap it was like either you were motion pictures or television and now they're blending yeah I think that's cool because I think that's what the audience wants yeah for sure 
Now, being a filmmaker obviously is a huge responsibility. There's a lot to do and deal with on set. How do you as a filmmaker, producer, stay organized and prioritize your tasks while you're on set? Uh, Well, pre-production is key. You really need to go into a filming day having a plan, having a roadmap. And a lot of my productions are very small, so I'm able to keep track of that myself. But on slightly larger productions, I have AD, who's the assistant director, who keeps me in check because (laughs) I I like to... (laughs) you know, move around and talk to everybody and Mm -hmm. get into lots of conversations. And when you have a shooting day that you have to make, you definitely need that person who's there telling you, okay, it's time to wrap this up and move on to the next thing. (laughs) Roll, roll it. (laughs) Come on, Jill, come back to reality here. Let's Exactly. We have it. We're here to do work. (laughs) Exactly. Even when you're super excited about a take or something that just happened or camera move, you know, you got to move on and and get the rest of the stuff finished. (laughs) I love it. Obviously as well, filmmaking is a very laborious job. So what keeps you motivated? I love the people. I love the actors. I love the crew, the interview subjects. I just, I love walking onto the set and talking to somebody, even like we're talking now and finding out something that I didn't know before about them, about what they do, their process. I really like people. And Mm. half of my job is being with people all the time. And then the other half is very solitary when I'm editing or I'm writing. So they kind of balance each other out. (laughs) You get the best of both worlds. Yeah. And I also, in the solitary moments, I like the discovery process. I like finding those moments in the footage, even if it's just a look or a breath or just something that brings it out more, that Mm. makes it a little more unique. Yeah. So that keeps me motivated when I'm by myself. Right. The discovery process. But when I'm on set, it's the people. Yeah. Excellent. What advice would you give to someone wanting to start a career in filmmaking? To someone wanting to begin a career in filmmaking, I'd say it's going to take time. It's not going to happen overnight. You just have to keep learning and don't think you know everything and don't think you're better than anybody because, you know, you get, you can all come up together. Yeah. You can you can all succeed together. It's not always a competition. And when you're collaborating, um, that's when a lot of cool stuff happens. I go back to when I graduated from film school and Robert Zemeckis was the guest speaker. And he said to the parents, I bet you're all wondering how your kids are going to make a living in this industry. And he said, the best answer I can give you is somehow. And, (laughs) and that has always stayed with me Mm -hmm. that it will happen somehow. Not everybody has the same path. As long as you stick with it, it can happen. Well, I mean, making a film is a collaborative process. You need the AD, you need the prop people, you need all of these different people who work in different areas on film. So you have to be collaborative, but I would think that there, there is quite a bit of ego on a film set right? There's definitely ego. And one of the rules I have for my film set is that in addition for my film sets Mm -hmm. is that in addition to being talented, you also have to be a good person. 
And there if, you go. And if you come on and you're throwing attitude, I'm not asking you to come back again. So that I've been very fortunate in that because my stuff is so small that I right. get to choose the people that I work with. And then if they can't come, they give me recommendations of people that they've worked with. Right. So, yeah. Okay. What are you most proud of in your professional experience? That's a hard question. I can't. <laughs> I can't can't just pick one. (laughs) They're like Um, your babies, right? They're like your kids. They're all babies. I mean, Mm. I'm proud that I'm doing it. I'm proud that, you know, as I'm doing it, I don't really notice it, but I just do. And the fact that I've, you know, I've kept it going for 20 years and it's still thriving and People still calling me to do projects and I'm raising two daughters as I'm doing it. So that's what I'm proud of. And I'm proud of just being able to adapt to all these different situations I find myself in when I'm traveling for work and meeting all these new people. That's a hell of a lot to be proud of, most definitely, for sure. What has been one of your favorite projects to work on up to this point in your career, would you say? I think I would say the implicit bias piece that we filmed in January, 2019, I believe, just because it was, we developed the script, um, my co-writer and myself with a psychologist. And so it was based in reality. And my co-writer DJ Johnson is an African-American male who also brought a reality to the script Mm -hmm. and just opening people's eyes up to the way the world treats different kinds of people. Yeah. So I'm really proud of that because I feel like when people watch it, they're either see themselves in it or they're learning something that they didn't know before. What would you say is one of your favorite parts of the filmmaking process? What do you enjoy? Is there one thing that you really enjoy more so over the other? Like, is it filming? Is it editing? Is it, is it anything in particular? The writing? Well, the writing definitely is the phase with the most possibility. Yes, of course. (laughs) The dream phase and then the filming, you know, you have to actually make it happen. I would say the filming, being on set energizes me. We filmed last week and I hadn't been on set in a little bit. And I just, I woke up and I was ready to go when (laughs) we had a 10 hour day and I still wasn't tired just because being with the people and getting the energy and from them, that's probably my favorite part. Okay. What has been one of the most difficult projects you've worked on so far in your career, would you say? So every project has its challenge, uh, challenges, Mm -hmm. but I would have to say the most difficult project I've ever worked on is back in, uh, I believe it was 2009. I directed a short documentary for the USC Shoah Foundation. And as part of making that 10 minute piece, I had to watch survivor testimonies and listening to these people that survived the Holocaust. I mean, I'd never experienced anything like that before and it stayed with me and it definitely, you know, there'll just be certain times throughout the day or whatever. And I'll just, I'll think of it. And I'm like, yeah. oh my, I can't even believe that happened to these people. And they were there to speak about it. So I feel like emotionally, that's definitely the hardest project I ever worked I'm on. I'm sure. 
As a filmmaker, obviously, you mentioned it yourself, you're a storyteller. And I've heard a lot of people talking lately about how the art of storytelling is a dying art form. Would you agree with that statement? And also, in your opinion, what would you say that we as a society, as people, have kind of lost sight of or lost the art of storytelling? And are they correct in saying that? I think for me personally, I'm surrounded by story every day because Mm -hmm. either I'm working on a video project or I'm writing the book. But in terms of, you know, the grander scheme of things, I feel like there's two answers to your question. Because like what we talked about earlier about TV and all the great Mm -hmm. stories being made, you have those, you know, you have those on one hand and then you have a lot of people just because they have an iPhone they're like, I made something, but they don't really know the, yeah. the foundations of storytelling. Right. And then something else is, I think it's so funny <laughs> that before we had language yeah. as a society, we would communicate in pictures, right? right. Cave mm-hmm. drawings. Yeah. And now with like emojis and yeah. stuff like that, people communicate like that again. Yeah. And then, I mean, if you want to go even deeper into it, there's definitely the storytelling that happens on social media. And, you know, how everybody kind of cultivates the story of their life that they want other people to see. Highlight now, reels. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, there's definitely people who are making you know, who are doing really great storytelling, some people that aren't. Not so I mean, great. <laughs> but yeah, not so great. But because there's just so much flying at us every day, we kind of have to sift through it. Yeah, yeah. Whereas we didn't used to have to do that. Yeah. Now, one thing I've always, it pops into my head every once in a while, and pertaining to Hollywood and the movies that are coming out now, it's like, has Hollywood, and I just want your opinion on this, has Hollywood do you think started to run out of ideas? I mean, look at all these films they're remaking. Look at all the TV shows they're remaking. Like, it's almost like, do you guys not have any original? Does nobody have original ideas anymore? Well, I mean, there is one thought that there's only a certain amount of stories that people just tell over and over again, right? Mm -hmm. Like falling in love or, you know, war or whatever. And it's how they tell it. But, you know, the... I think it's a money thing. I think Mm. that it's the studios know what will sell Mm. and they'd rather take a chance on remaking Spider-Man for the third time in 20 years (laughs) than a new action adventure hero that nobody's ever heard of. So when you have source material that's proven, that's a proven entity, that's a safer bet to them. And then they they use, I mean, hopefully the profits offer that to let some of the smaller movies be made where yes. they are taking the chance, but it's not a hundred million dollar chance. Maybe it's a $30 million chance. Right. So that's kind of how that goes. Okay. Why reinvent the wheel when you've got a proven model that we can just kind of twist a little bit or expand on a little bit that will more than likely bring in that money because of the subject matter? Yes. And I mean, people are paying for them, right? They're going to see those movies. Yeah, very true. I don't know. To me, it's just kind of frustrating. It's like, okay, we've already seen this. This has been done already. Let's try something new. And like you said, give the smaller films a chance. They yes. don't need that big budget. Yes. And where they're doing that is in the streaming world. Right. 
obviously the COVID-19 crisis has disrupted the global film industry. So what are the challenges and opportunities for the industry beyond the pandemic, do you think? Well, I feel like it could be a time to really sit back and reevaluate for the film industry, but I don't know that they're doing that. <laughs> I, know that. I mean, I know that my friends who work on big budget film and TV have been busy. They've been yeah. busy since I feel like when COVID-19 first, you know, we were first in quarantine, everything shut down. Yeah. But after a couple of months, they were back at it, you know, testing. And mm -hmm. so they're, they're working, but I just, this is a really interesting question for me. I feel like the studios need to take notice that different voices need to be represented. And, and I hope they do that because yeah. I feel like Hollywood moves at a glacial pace and yes, there has been change, but it's, it's not enough yet. Minute. Yeah. It's minute in the grand scheme of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As a filmmaker for you, what is it that sets you apart from others in your industry? Would you say? I think that I have a genuine interest in anybody who I'm filming as well as the people who work on my set. Whether I'm making a documentary or a corporate video, I don't give any one of those projects less respect because mm. it is seemingly not as glamorous. Right. Because I feel like in order to elevate any project, especially being the director on the set, you, you need to make people feel heard, make them feel like what they're saying matters and really connect with them. And then in the end, that's how I learn stuff, right. you know? And so I think that's a cool part of it that people, everybody should do. And I know that I do it because yeah. they've told me. <laughs> well, there you go. And that's, that's what matters is that the people you work with feel heard and valued mm -hmm. and respected, right? Yes. Yes, exactly. It's a trust thing. Yeah. What was your very first job in film and how did you progress from there to where you are now in your career? So when we say job, do we mean paying job? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's go with paying job. <laughs> um, it's kind of a interesting story. So when I was in film school, the school was doing a big event, a big celebrity event, and they were behind schedule. And so they asked for the best student producer and they called me. Wow. And so then they hired me to help get them on track and keep them on track with this event, which was a big deal for the school at the time. And then they offered me a job and I took it because just being out of grad school, you know, loans were being paid back. Yeah. And that eventually evolved into me producing events for them and then creating the videos that play at these big events. And then it culminated in me producing a live show that was the event, the actual show on the stage, and the video packages that played at the show. And that was also a big fundraising event where they had celebrity buy-in. So that kind of elevates things yeah. as well. And then I left because that's not why I went to film school. I didn't want to work in an office. That's why I left Manhattan. 
And, yeah. and then people just started hiring me to do those similar types of videos. And I created a client base over the years and that expanded a little bit and expanded a little bit more. And here we are, you know, in <laughs> 2022 and I'm still trucking. <laughs> still moving forward. I love it. Still moving forward. Yeah. If you had Jill an unlimited budget at your disposal, what would be your dream production project? Brad, this is a hard question. <laughs> this is a hard question. Well, I don't want to make it easy for you. Goodness. Okay. What I, would one of your dream projects be then? We'll say. One of my dream projects, and it has to be big budget. <laughs> Well, I mean, if you had the unlimited budget to use. Yeah, I would love to do something with a powerhouse female cast. And it doesn't have to be a serious movie. Uh It could be a fun movie. And I would definitely cast Melissa McCarthy. (laughs) She is awesome. Yes, I would definitely cast her as, as like the foundation. And then, you know hopefully get other interests from there. I don't know the genre. I don't <laughs> just know Melissa McCarthy would be the, the foundation of it. Yes. I just know I would love to do something with her that, you know, we were trusted to do yeah. and delivered. Beautiful. Very cool. In your opinion, Jill, what does the future of film look like to you? I think, I think, like I said before, Hollywood moves at a glacial pace, but I think <laughs> The future is going to be more of these really interesting series, limited series that we can stream into our house, into our houses. I love myself. I love going to the movie theater and sitting in that dark room. And I really hope it continues. But, you know, there's talk that it might not continue on the scale we were used to before the pandemic. Yeah, but I still think good content is going to be made. And hopefully, you know, every day you look on deadline.com or you read in Variety or Hollywood Reporter how so-and-so has just been made this executive and -and so-and-so. And there are people that we're not used to seeing in these roles. So hopefully that will evolve into more diverse content, good storytelling, diverse content. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about your philanthropic work and some of the organizations you've worked with? Sure. So a woman that I had met at USC doing the event videos, I wanted to create a nonprofit called Picture Alternatives, which Mm -hmm. was to promote nonviolent conflict resolution through visual means. And so I was a creative director there for a while and we made a bunch of shorts And the ones that I mostly worked on had to do with parenting and empathetic parenting, whereas we're not just yelling and screaming and we're trying to find out what's, what's really going on here and how we can move forward together. Right. And so those were really fun. Those were, I started with um, an animation that I wrote and that was the one that won the award. And then we started working with... (laughs) toddlers. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> and so I had to cast and direct toddlers. Oh my. And we worked in conjunction with this organization called the Children's Institute and Project ABC. Uh-huh. And it was a healthy parenting series and I really enjoyed that because, you know, coming from 
where I grew up, there wasn't a lot of empathetic parenting going on. And I kind of figured there, there has to be another way. And so it was important to me when my kids were born to understand that. So that's some philanthropic work I've done. Yeah. And the implicit bias video was also for those two same organizations. Okay. Um, and then I've gotten involved with the Cohen Veterans Network, okay. which helps veterans and their family members when they return back from active duty. And that I really enjoyed. I, well, I I don't want to say past tense because I'm still doing it. I really enjoy that because I'm going to different military towns around the United States and interacting with a population that I wouldn't be exposed to in Hollywood. And it's just, you know, there's so much back and forth and politics and it's just really nice to get to know the people. Yeah, And, you know, I say to people, I'm like, these are human beings who are doing what, you know, they think is right for the country. And whether you agree with it or not, they're, they're human beings yes. and they need to be treated as such. And, and they need help. Yeah. If they need help, they need help. And so it was really interesting to get to know these people and really learn the behind the scenes stuff that you don't hear on the news or see in a headline. I'm sure Um, you've heard a hell of a lot of horror stories, amazing stories. Yeah. And also just normal stories, Yeah, Mm -hmm. just normal stories. Uh, So I really enjoyed that. And then um, another nonprofit I work with is the Mimi and Mortimer Levitt Foundation, where they bring they bring music to communities to help strengthen communities. And so I've traveled around to different places as well, filming in those communities. And it's just really cool how all these different genres of music just bring people together, sitting on a lawn, picnicking, dancing, laughing. When I'm filming, I'm sometimes dancing in the crowd. <laughs> um, I love it. So, I mean, it all goes back to the people thing, yeah, right? What I yeah. said before about how what keeps me going are all the different people I meet. Yeah, for sure. Now, you created some content as well for the Toronto International Film Festival, celebrating the festival's history of supporting female filmmakers. What was that experience like for you? First of all, of course, being a female filmmaker yourself and also creating content for such a prestigious and well-known film festival. I felt proud. It wasn't a big project, but I was really happy that I was asked to do it. And it just, it spoke to me in a different way because I am a female filmmaker and this was celebrating this history of female filmmakers and they they're in a much higher league than me, but it still made me feel proud to be part of it. Yeah. It was mostly an editing job. Okay. But when they sent me the photos of the event and, you know, the big screens and the people there, I felt, I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. And it was, it was an editing job, but there was a live performer singing a song. So there was like some technical stuff with click tracks and just things like that, that I don't normally have to do. So it was cool to experience that. Excellent. Now we touch very, very briefly on this, but I'm curious what your thoughts are on the filmmaking industry as a whole and women's part in the industry. I mean, how prevalent now, and I'm sure it's incredibly, but I just wanted to add, is that old boys club 
of the 30s and 40s? Is it still really in your face as it was, say, back in the 70s? Or has it kind of progressed where it's waning off a little bit? I think it's progressed a little bit. I think it has progressed a little bit. And I think a lot of opportunity is coming in TV. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know my friends that are um, female filmmakers have gotten their opportunity directing TV, editing TV, filming TV, and then, you know, just really independent, independent stuff. I mean, a lot of it, it all goes back to where the money's coming from, right? right? And who controls the money and who they trust to create the project. So I think that, you know, the more women there are at the top, that aren't just trying to fill quotas and really want to make a difference. Yeah. It, it will happen and it is happening. It's just very slow. It's just very it's like slow. the entrepreneurial world too, right? I mean, women, I think from what I've seen in my journey over the last little while with the podcast and everything, I think that they're starting to get tired of the corporate bullshit, the old boys club, and they're making the jump into entrepreneurship because they're tired of dealing with that shit over there. Yeah, Because they can jump into entrepreneurship and be the CEO that they want to strive to be, that they're not be, being given the opportunity to be. So would you say then, is are you seeing this happen in the film industry where more women, because they're not as many are getting those roles that they are fighting for or deserve, they're stepping into the independent filmmaking world? Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, going way back to the beginning of the questions you started asking me, I think that's why I've continued on the route I've been on. Right. Because I didn't want to deal with that bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, I know through previous conversations, and we mentioned it very briefly at the beginning, you're working on a memoir about living as an obese woman in America. Can you share a bit about this journey you're embarking on now and what inspired the decision to write this memoir for you? Going back, I realized during quarantine when I was Mm. in my garage, I had touched on these themes years ago when I was in high school, when I was in film school. After film school, I found writings and I made a short film about it. And why, I just think it's time now. You know, my dad passed away at the end of 2018. And right before he passed away, I was successful in losing a significant amount of weight. And I think that was like the proudest he ever was of me with anything I accomplished in my whole life. And I was happy he got to see it, but it just brought a lot of emotions and a lot of memories and a lot of thoughts about my career and my life and it brought them to the surface. And I just, my daughters at that time, at the time I began writing, they were nine and 11. And I don't ever say the word diet. As a kid, I felt like we were inundated with weight loss and fast weight loss and long weight loss and this and that and Weight Watchers, Jenny Craig, Slim Fast, yada, yada, yada. I I don't talk about them with my kids because I don't want them to think that their worth is based on how much they weigh. And something I was told as a child was that you're so pretty, it's too bad you're not skinny. Oh my gosh. And that is a, it kind of, once you hear that enough, it kind of becomes your internal mantra. Yeah. And I don't want that for them. Yeah. And I don't want it for me anymore. 
So that's why I figured I'd take all this storytelling experience I've accumulated <laughs> and write my story. And not that I think I'm some amazingly interesting person, but I also think a lot of stories people connect with are just regular people. But you are interesting. Everyone has a story. Everybody does. Yes. Absolutely every person on earth has a story to tell. And I think you should embrace that and be proud of that. Yes. You know what? I am interesting. I do have a story to share with the world. And as long as those stories resonate or touch one person, that's all that matters is that you, if you affect and impact one person in the world, I mean, of course, the goal is to impact and affect as many people as you possibly can. But if you can walk away from something like this saying, I impacted one person with my story, that's your job done. That's all that matters. Yeah. I I must say that when I do mention it to people, everybody I mention it to has their own version of the story, whether they were the, um, the person who was being made fun of, or they were the one making fun of the person. So that keeps me going because when I tell people about it, they respond. But what I found out through this journey is storytelling is hard You have to just keep digging and mining and you can't be surface and you have to, you have to have the courage to, to go there. Yes. And you got to tell the real story or else the viewers, the readers, they'll know. Yeah. They'll they'll know know it's not not authentic. Yep. For sure. So yeah. So writing the book is both exhilarating and exhausting. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure it is emotionally draining. All of that. Yeah. <laughs> because you're digging a... into places you haven't dug into in years, right? Yes. I'm definitely going places. And it's still not done yet. Yeah. I mean, I also don't think I could have written this story back when I was in my early twenties because right. I haven't lived enough of it yes. yet. And it's, you know, I, I don't have the ending yet. I don't have yeah. a resolution yet. Yeah. I'm, I'm living it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're working and, towards it. Yes. And I have a really good support system with my beyond writing writers group. So that also makes a huge difference. Awesome. Yeah. To date, what would you say is your biggest tie or your greatest win? Oh my goodness. Um, my greatest win. Um, well, you know, (laughs) I, I, so I want to go back to being a mother and how I've been an independent filmmaker for a long time. And, you know, when I had my babies, they were my sets and I don't know if I was supposed to do this, but like, I would have the babysitter with the baby and then yell cut. And then I mean, (laughs) yell action Sorry, I did it the wrong way. I would have the baby with the babysitter and I'd yell action. And then when I yelled cut, I'd take the baby and then we'd move on to the next shot. So, I mean, I know there's a lot of talk about that where people are talking about giving women the space in the workplace to be a mother and take care of what they have to do. And I mean, for me, it just seems like a no duh. Of course, I'm going to do that. Because yep. what what else would I do? And so That's I'm right. kind of proud that I just kind of like I normally do. I put my head down and I just did it. And um, <laughs> and I got to spend a lot of time with them when they were small. Because of course, once they began walking, I could not do that anymore. Of course, because they'd be running all over the set. It'd exactly. be a nightmare. Exactly. So I really, I guess I am proud of that, you know? And so you should be. What do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful? 
it's, I feel like you're going to be like, again, Jill, with this answer, it's people, it's talking to people, connecting mm. with people, being genuinely interested in them and listening to them. I feel like that's what people on my set connect with. Yeah. They want to come and hang out with me as we yeah. work. And I think it's ironic because in school, I got good grades, but always got in trouble for talking too much. <laughs> <laughs> And now I've made a career out of talking. There you go. (laughs) No, I mean, connection is so important. It's such an integral part of life and creating connections and connecting with others and listening. Listening is, I don't know, I I mean, really, when you think about it, that's all people really want is to be heard. So to be able to provide that and to be able to actively listen to people not just listen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I hear you. I hear you and and move on, but actively listen to what they're saying. I mean, there's a lot of people that don't do that. They listen, but they don't actively listen, you know? Yes. That's a good point. Active listening Uh where you you actually, where you care and you learn something and it's not just like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. It's just, you know, it makes me think of how, when we're interacting with people, just, a lot of people will be, you know, one of the first questions someone will ask you when you meet them, how you doing? Do they really give a shit about how you're doing? Or are they just saying that because it's what we've been brought up, taught and conditioned to say to people? Or do you really give a shit what I'm saying? What I, you know, could I really, you ask me how I'm doing today. And I say, Jill, you know, I have had a really rough day. This has gone on and this, do people really give a shit? Do they really want to hear that? Or are they just asking it just because it's what they think they're supposed to ask? You know what I mean? Oh, I know what you mean for sure. Yeah. I know what you mean. I think about that often actually, because that ties into the listening. Do you really want to hear it? (laughs) (laughs) Like when we started today, we talked yes. about that. Yeah, exactly. Jill, how do you define success? What does that word mean to you? I think for me, success is being happy and not in like a dream world, but also being happy and being able to pay your bills. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think it should have to be one or the other. I think for me, success is I'm happy. I have a roof over my head. I have food on my table. And yeah, is there more stuff I'd like to do? Sure. But I got a pretty good. So I think that's what success is. What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before you learned that thing? What was your life like after you learned that? Not everything has to be an argument. (laughs) (laughs) It, you know, you could disagree. And if you disagree and it's getting mentally exhausting, it's okay to move on. You don't have to keep sparring because I feel like when that happens, it's like, you know, you get the jolt of energy, like when you make your point and then are you really listening to them making their point or are you just waiting for your turn? So there's a lot of arguing. I don't think it's necessary. We're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions just be two, three, four word answer type thing. Okay. Can, can I say something else? Sure. Yeah. Um, That was the question about what have you learned, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, my other answer to that question is what I am learning is that it doesn't matter what the scale says. Ah, there you go. That's very important. That the, um, your worth does not equate to how much you weigh or what you look like. It is all about 
the person you are and how you treat other people. Very well said and very good point to make. Absolutely. For sure. All right. Rapid fire section. Just two, three forward answer type thing. Okay. You ready to go? Yes. What was your dream job as a child? I wanted to be a famous filmmaker. (laughs) Look at that. (laughs) Jill, if you had a theme song that played every time you walked into a room, what song would that be? Oh God, I, I, I don't know. There's a lot of pressure. I'd say an upbeat rock anthem. Okay. Does that count? Sure. We'll, we'll, do, we'll go with that. That's fine. How would you describe yourself in one word? Vivacious. What was your very first job? I was a paper girl. I had my own paper route. I, mine too. <laughs> I wasn't a paper girl. I was a paper boy, but yeah. <laughs> if you could teach the world one thing, what would that be? I think it would be to get rid of, I hope I'm going to say this word the correct way, toxicity, Mm -hmm. whether that be in relation to race or gender, ethnicity, politics, religion. Let's just all stop being toxic. Sounds like a great world if we could do that. (laughs) What is one thing you want but cannot buy with money? True intimacy. And I don't mean intimacy in a sexual way. Right. I mean, in a connected way. Mm -hmm. If you could change one thing about the world, what would you change? Oh my goodness. If I could change the world. Okay, here we go. If I could change the world, I would change it so that people are kinder to each other and more empathetic towards each other. That's a good one. I love that one. That concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. Jill, what does the word empowerment mean to you? Empowerment for me is being given the space to be your authentic self and then feeling the courage to share your voice, to show the world who you are. But you have to feel like the world wants to hear it. Powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Very powerful. If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one hour conversation with one woman in the world, any woman you want, who would it be and why? Can they be not alive? Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. So I think it would be my grandmother. Mm -hmm. And the reason is that I am number 35 of her 37 grandchildren. Holy. And By the time I came along, I felt like she was boring and old lady-like and (laughs) had already had 34 grandchildren and didn't want to deal with my bullshit. And I like kind of see her in black and white. Yeah. Like not in the color black and white, like before color TV, right? Mm -hmm. I kind of see her in a black and white TV in my memories and- The thing is, she came to the United States as an Irish nanny in the 1920s, all by herself. What kind of courage did that take? And what, like, to kind of get on that boat and then start this whole new life? And I always thought my other grandmother was more, like, worldly and chic. And I don't think I gave this grandmother enough credit. And I really wish I could go back and talk to her and see what she was like as a, as a young woman. That is incredible strength and courage and resilience to just move countries on your own by yourself. Wow. And back in those days, 
Like that's crazy. Incredible. Incredible. So who in your life has had the biggest impact on you and why? The person that has had the biggest impact on my life in a positive way Mm -hmm. is Michael Lane, who is my husband. Uh And I'm going to tell you that the very first time I met my mother-in-law, she took me aside and she said, Jill, I just want you to know that Michael loves women. And I was like, okay. (laughs) And she said, no, really, he loves women. And what I mean by that is he respects women. Uh And I can tell you that this man has been my biggest cheerleader and has never cut me down about anything. And it really, it's taught me that you can have that support in your partner and, you know, have a good give and take relationship. And it's just, I don't know that I had ever met a man who treated me like that before in such a kind, loving, respectful way. Amazing. You couldn't have better impact than that. That's, that's it right there. Yes. And it is trickling down to our daughters. So, and that's, that's so important that they see that, that they, their father is that role model and teaching them that this is how you treat women. This is how you deserve to be treated. Exactly. And don't accept anything less. Exactly. So there you have it. Beautiful. Jill, what does the best version of you look like when you close your eyes and imagine it? Well, I would be somewhere sunny. My hair would be blowing in the light breeze and I would be content. I'd be happy and content with my body, my career, my relationships. That's it. I would be happy and content. If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? Oh, it doesn't matter how much you weigh. It doesn't matter. And you The quicker you learn that, the better off you're going to be. Love it. Well said. Lastly, if you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, your corner of the world, your tribe, your community, your people, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What would you say? What words of wisdom would you impart? I would say be kind to one another. Try and put yourself in each other's shoes. See where the other person's coming from. You don't have to argue about everything. Can you tell I have two teenage daughters? <laughs> yeah. I've been there, done that. <laughs> Still do it when they're together. <laughs> yeah, and that it's worth getting up to see the sunrise. Well said. Jill, thank you so very much for taking the time to be here today and share a bit about your story and your journey and your world of filmmaking and your journey there in that world This has been such an incredibly inspirational conversation. I've thoroughly enjoyed every minute of it. And I just, I appreciate you. And I appreciate you taking the time to be here today and share your story with me and the Empowerography community. It's an absolute honor. I'm so proud to have you as a member of the Empowerography community. So thank you. Thank you, Brad. I appreciate you and listen, and you're listening and that you wanted to talk to me. Thank you. My pleasure, honestly. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Jill Askey. She is an independent filmmaker who is in the process of writing her very first book. Thank you so much, Jill. I hope you have an amazing rest of the day. Thank you, Brad. You as well.
Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.